Nine. We're back with commodities with you, Ole, and um, we're going to talk obviously about the energy markets. That's going to be super important in the week to come. Um, we are obviously recording uh, recording as we got news yesterday that the OPEC um, came out with a report, Ole, saying that there is a huge deficit in the uh, the oil market expected for Q4. 3.3 million barrels per day. You have other estimates out there from other outfits like uh, EIA and IEA, which very different from the from the OPEC estimates. And why is this important? It, well, I think it's important for two reasons. So oil is probably the biggest uh, transmission into break-evens and inflation expectations. Mm-hmm. So it raises the risk of a stagflation, as you said to me before we started recording this. And then obviously also it turbocharges um, you know, price performance in, among energy stocks. And that's something I'll be talking about in my separate, um, or, which I did talk about because um, in, my, in, my, in my equity podcast. So Ole, take us through what's happening in the, uh, in the energy market with the oil and what's happening. And, and before you talk, also touch on this odd fact that while prices are, are coming up, Saudi Arabia is cutting production. Actually, if you if you square the two numbers together, they're actually earning less than before they started this whole political uh, managing of the output. Indeed. And uh, yeah, we've been talking about this increase uh, in, in previous podcasts and, and the rally just continues. And uh, when we look at the numbers, it's it's obviously a very, very difficult one to, uh, to go against. Uh, and uh, this week we've had the oil market reports, as you mentioned, from uh, OPEC, EIA and IEA. And uh, also what I think really stood out was this major discrepancies they have in the in how they how they look at the market balance into the fourth quarter, and and the one that really smacks in my f- in 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 my face and people's face is the three point three million barrel deficit uh, calculated by OPEC. OPEC is the one that's actually cutting production because they're looking for a stable and balanced price. I think that starts to ring increasingly hollow, um, and you and we probably will see some pro- not protests, but just. Increased murmur will that, that, that this is more about boosting the price as long as uh, production or as long as demand remains strong. And but why? Uh, but why? Why boosting the price when you're cutting production in in such a way that when you multiply the new price with your new production, you you you're not making more money. So what's the? That's what I don't get about all of this from Saudi Arabia. What is the what is the rational behavior or the rational thinking behind this behavior? That's a very good question. It. That's a very good question, and you and and it is obviously Saudi Arabia that this focuses on because while while others are benefiting greatly from these higher prices because they are either not uh, adhering to a quota or they don't, haven't cut production by to the extent that it, it makes an impact. Uh, Russia, for instance, had a had a very strong uh, re- revenue growth uh, last month, but but Saudi Arabia, if you look at the price and the export they had just prior to the first production cut in June. Uh, they basically need a price now of $110 a barrel to break even or to make the same amount of money as it did back in April, and, which, and, and which I doubt we will uh, we will reach. No, exactly. And where are we trading right now in, in Brent crude? Where is it? We, we, we're approaching the mid-90s. And, uh, and and with that, we also, as you mentioned, uh, approaching levels where we are starting to... Uh, well, we, we have to worry about the the response from central banks because this is creating uh, the so-called sticky inflation. It's creating the risk of stagflation as we've been highlighting for a couple of months that that we could see slowing economic activity and and uh, and relatively high price pressures. And uh, how do they navigate this uh, this field? And and at the same time, why is OPEC so uh, 
so incentivized or feel the need to boost prices to the extent where the global demand outlook potentially start to suffer, which would have the negative impact. Yeah, and we we, we should tell our listeners that we are recording um, we're recording this on a Wednesday. So by the time you will hear this, the ECB will have been out with their uh, rate uh, policy rate decision, and I think actually there the. There, it, it is Europe and the ECB that has most at stake here with what's happening in the in the oil market because the stagflation environment is potentially the strongest in Europe right now, given the estimates that are coming in and these high oil prices will not make it more easy for the ECB. Absolutely, and uh, and and again, if they if they come up with with a relatively firm uh, firm announcement, then then we will probably the market will probably not be far far behind from pricing in um, more than a 50-50 uh, chance of a, of a, another hike in in the U.S. So, so th- this is really the fine line. I, I thought that uh, I, I really thought ninety was a, was a sweet spot, not too hot for consumers and not too cold for producers. But uh, but this. But if if three point three million barrels deficit, which I don't think we will get, uh, and I'll I'll explain that later, uh, it's probably more in line with what the uh, what the EIA and IEA are thinking. Then uh, then it will uh, it, it will create a situation where it, it could become too hot for 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 consumers, and and uh, and that would that would leave them uh, in a, in a situation into next year where demand is already now forecast to be not as strong as as this year. Before we move on, I have a follow up question. So. China is a major oil importer. So obviously China's impacted from these higher oil prices. The Chinese economy over the last 10 years supposedly was strong enough that these higher oil prices were never really a problem. I'm just wondering, Uliman, with the with China slowing down to the extent that it, that it is and with the economic issues that they have on their hand, I'm just really wondering whether China at one point could really begin rattling the sable here and say, you know, this is enough because I, I I mean, it's an export country. They mm-hmm. they live off manufacturing and industrial production, which is heavily dependent on on cheap sources of energy and 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 other inputs like oil. So, yeah, what they may they may not actually uh, say anything uh, directly, but what they do have is uh, they have a quite decent uh, amount of uh, storage. Uh, both the refineries hold uh, crude oil in storage and the strategic reserves as well, so they could. They could uh, potentially start slowing down their purchase of, of crude oil if these prices become too too high. And uh, China is known for being very very shrewd operator when it comes to uh, buying and selling oil, especially buying it at when the price is is uh, is, uh, is relatively low. So uh, that's definitely one we should keep an eye on. I think also we should be looking out for for the. Um, how non-OPEC producers will will respond to these higher prices? They're already now we already now seeing that production in the US is actually picking up. Uh, if that can accelerate, that will also alleviate some of the the pressures. We're seeing speculators normally a very forceful, uh, big driving force when we see these big momentum moves. This time around, it's really only in the last couple of weeks they've uh, they've started to become net buyers because uh, the the first part of the rally, which started back in June, was really all about covering short positions. So I think at this moment in time, some uh, hedge funds who are categorized as speculators, they are torn between a very bullish technical outlook, but also a challenging macroeconomic environment. And I think that that filter probably, if you add that macroeconomic filter, that probably makes them put in a larger, a smaller, a big, a smaller long position than they probably otherwise would have done. And so so maybe we're not seeing that momentum from these uh, types of, of uh, players. And then finally, the refinery maintenance season is about to kick in. 
that will reduce the demand for oil from uh, refineries. It will not potentially help alleviate the price pressure in gasoline and diesel because they will obviously produce less of those uh, those products. But crude oil uh, demand should slow in the coming months from the refinery and uh, maintenance, and that potentially could have an impact as well. And then we had the uh, we had the article yesterday in the FT um, was it the IEAs um, with IEA, the, yeah. yeah with the you know peak oil is setting in or we're getting closer to it. Obviously, Saudi Arabia is well aware of that. That's a topic I want to discuss with you, uh, potentially next week's podcast. But we have to move on to the next subject, and that's copper. So copper, Dr. Copper, um, for many years it was you know renowned as being a very good proximator and and good forecaster of economic growth because it used in construction, it used in in industrial production, etc. And um, and copper is increasingly becoming the new oil or the new gold, mm, call it yeah. what you want. Um, because of the electrification, the green transformation, hugely important uh, metal. And um, recently we have seen it, the copper being being supported by the People's Bank of China, and China is very important. Um, will it take us through what's happening in the copper market right now? Well, uh, when I look at copper and many of the other commodities, I just basically look for correlations, just to get, get a feel for what is the what is the driver for an, an individual commodity. And right now and for a while now, the, the biggest... Uh, Moments or biggest correlation uh, in copper has been the, the strength and weakness of the Chinese RMB. We had the the recent weakness, which took it to a multi-year low. Uh, that did not uh, that helped send uh, copper prices under under pressure. Uh, but now, the, the, over the last week or so, we we've seen, as you mentioned, the People's Bank of China step in, increasingly adding some support. We've seen the remembi starting to strengthen. The cost of shorting uh, rem- the offshore remembi now in Hong Kong is uh, at the highest level in five years if you look at the three months rate and uh, that's that's also that's adding to some of the the support for for uh, for the remimbi and also support for copper because uh, yesterday when we had this uh, this uh, 3.3 million barrel deficit uh, announced from OPEC what was what we saw was gold and other precious metals sold off because of the inflation worries and then and worries about the delay to peak rate copper didn't and that's basically because we need to focus on on uh, China and we need to focus on the currency in order to gauge more what's going to happen there. Yeah, and I guess we we need to explain to the listeners all that one of the world's largest uh, producers of copper, Chile, you know, sits outside China obviously and China is a big consumer of, of copper. So when you when your currency weakens, you have uh, copper imported from abroad into China becomes more expensive, so it reduces demand for copper. So that I guess is partly, you know, the the uh, that's, causal explanation for yeah, why there's a link. some of the reaction function. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and then I mean, when we talk about copper and electrification and electric vehicles, there is a big ramp up. And one of the reasons, because I mean, if you look at the slowdown in China, you would think that copper would have been more bruised this year than 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 it has been. And and I think a lot of it is due to the electric vehicles, but also construction. It's quite interesting when you when you see the the different construction stocks, companies that we have put into our construction theme baskets on the equity side, that basket has actually been one of the best performing theme baskets over the past year and years to date. And if you look at Caterpillar, I mean, the the construction industry is holding up pretty well despite of high interest rates, and that uh, as well, I guess, is also a demand driver for companies. That is absolutely, uh, absolutely as well. And uh, but but uh, looking at looking at, at China, where such a big percentage historically has been coming from the property sector, there's been a lot of completion. So so it's not as if property building uh, construction has suddenly come to a halt. Um, but but it's it's been relatively robust for now. Uh, but at the same time, the uh, looking at the numbers, how much is going towards uh, the 
the green transformation. That's not only VVs. That's also the upgrading of the grids and so on. That's really where where the that, that's really where we see the robustness. And uh, if 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 we need to uh, achieve that the transformation, that will continue. And obviously, there will be substitutions found to, for copper uh, down the line. But at this point in time, it's difficult to see uh, if uh, a replacement that can can that can tip the, uh, the the demand outlook for copper in the coming years. So we remain structurally. Uh, positive on copper. We do term. indeed. We yeah. are indeed. Yeah. All right. Last theme. We, we uh, you wanted to talk about the the Bloomberg Commodity Index, which is um, and obviously the listeners cannot see this, but I'm 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 looking at a chart here that Ulla gave me where with the year on year performance uh, across a lot of different commodities and natural gas is is in the rock bottom of that uh, ranking uh, right now, and in the top you see. Sugar. So um, apparently, it's it's less costly to heat your home, but it's more costly if you want to bake a cake or what. Mm, yeah, you can you can say that. Uh, but uh, I think the, the the main well, not think the the main reason why I just brought this up is is, is because we've had this quite substantial correction in commodities uh, up until. I'll say up until uh, May June time, and since then the market is starting to pick up. We all we, we we talked about energy. We're seeing strong rises there. We're seeing uh, energy, uh, natural gas recover, start to recover as well. We've seen a very strong rally in soft commodities. Sugar, one of them. Another is being cocoa. Uh, cotton is firm as well. Uh, up until recent soybeans. Uh, and so on. And um, what we are finding is now that 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 uh, four of these major commodities are now trading higher year and year. And again, that will start to play into the inflation story. So again, we cannot ignore the the risk to inflation, uh, stick inflation. We've seen the 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 one year break even or the one free, one year inflation swap has, has jumped by a quarter percent just the last two weeks, and uh, that is obviously in the straight opposite direction than where where the Fed would like to see it. So obviously, we are focusing on we we will uh, will be talking about the, the potential impact of the CPI number, which. Uh, which was uh, which was was is out by the time this is published, but we we don't know the result of it yet. No, that's true. And um, you know, commodities. So when you talk about commodities and the Bloomberg Commodity Index, we often talk about those type of commodities that have been commercialized in rather liquid futures markets. But they're obviously the commodity range is so much bigger. And and you and I recently talked about uh, rise. Uh, unfortunately, uh, or it's it's not. Uh, it's unfortunate that the price have been rising to an all-time high almost um, because it's such a stable in in food consumption in Asia mm-hmm. but and also I mean when you when when we talk about the um, the Bloomberg commodity index and we talk about natural gas that obviously is the US natural gas contract yeah, where so, so then, exactly yeah. because that is something that's really important for people living here in Europe and the natural gas market is very different in Europe than it is in the US right now and it's not easy to clear any differences between major regions because LNG is very expensive exactly. and et cetera. But I, I don't know whether, because I think we have probably have a minute or so, maybe you want to talk us through a little bit of a thought on on natural gas because I think it's such an outlier here, at least at the American version, but maybe talk about a little bit about what is the outlook for European gas market and the winter months. Well, as uh, as uh, recent updates from from some of the major forecasters in gas have said, well, the gas this winter could be uh, 20 euros, it could be 100 euros uh, wow. because it's simply... We have the strike action right now in, in Australia uh, from some of the major LNG exporters. Uh, Australia is a major supplier to the global market, and that's uh, that's been uh, holding the, it's been supporting the price 
even at a time where inventory levels in Europe are, are close to, uh, our stock levels are close to full, and uh, the the uh, heating season is still uh, at least a month away, maybe even six weeks away before that really kicks off. So we, we, we potentially could hit the tank top, as I say, before we get to that point, uh, which means in the short term the price the price potentially could uh, could drop. But then again, we've just been through a, a week or two here where the winters uh, died down in northern Europe. So uh, so I think electricity prices the other day was the highest they've been all year. So so again, there's, there's this volatility that we have in in the cost of energy in Europe because of the uh, because of the mix between between traditional fuels and and the renewables. But um, I think the yeah, overall, it, it basically is the question of what kind of winter are we are we facing. If we're facing a normal winter, we should be okay. Uh, then prices maybe go could go up into the fifties, but if it becomes a punitively cold winter, then uh, we may have a problem when we get into uh, late January, early February. All right, um, and I think that's uh, that marks the end of the uh, of the podcast. So, um, if you look at commodities. In the week ahead, watch out for energy, Brent crude in particular, and what ha- what's happening there, especially on the back as well on the ECB decision and the U.S. inflation report. We have copper. Copper is being supported by policy actions in China. Watch out for that one. And then general commodities that Uli mentioned, sugar, gasoline, copper, and crude, which are turning around. So that's fascinating on commodities. And Ul and I will be back in a week's time with another episode on commodities. Thank you. Thank you.